Sometimes people wonder about the sugar that's in fruit, um, and there are natural sugars that are in fruit, but surprisingly enough, in research studies, when you feed them to research volunteers, you discover that the absorption of the natural sugars in fruits is very slow and steady. It doesn't hit you like a punch the way, uh, let's say you got a soda, and or you ate some sugar itself, uh, you get this uh, real big spike in your blood sugar. You don't see that with fruit. It's much more gentle. We call that a low glycemic index. So if you like fruit, have at it. Hi, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen or a view or a download wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. And it is Nutrition Q&A Day, my friend. The professor of nutrition himself, Dr. Neil Barnard, is here to open up the doctor's mailbag and answer your questions. We have a ton of questions running the nutrition gamut, including how much fruit should you be eating in a day? And what are the healthiest fruits that you should be targeting to get in your diet? Is citrus better than another? Well, we're going to dive into that as well. We're going to turn your fruit IQ into something that is off the charts. Plus, we're going to talk a little bit about fruit and diabetes. We've got questions coming in about B12. We've got questions about soy. And we also have questions about why is it so hard to lose weight as you get older in life? Most importantly, what can be done about it? So without further ado, let's go ahead and open up that doctor's mailbag right now. Here to help us raise our nutrition IQs is Dr. Neil Barnard. Let's get right to the question. This one comes to us from Christian, wants to know how much fruit should we be eating in a day? Okay, um, so how much fruit should a person be eating in a day? really depends on uh, on how much you want. In other words, there's nothing toxic in fruit such that if you were to eat a little bit more, um, that it would be harmful to you. And if you ate five, six, seven, eight pieces of fruit in a day, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't harm you. Our biological cousins, chimpanzees, spend probably half their time eating fruit. Um, so it's really, it's really not a problem. Um, sometimes people wonder about the sugar that's in fruit. Um, and there are natural sugars that are in fruit. But surprisingly enough, in research studies, when you feed them to research volunteers, you discover that the absorption of the natural sugars in fruits is very slow and steady. It doesn't hit you like a punch the way, uh, let's say you got a soda and or you ate some sugar itself, uh, you get this uh, real big speak, uh, spike in your blood sugar. You don't see that with fruit. It's much more gentle. We call that a low glycemic index. So if you like fruit, have at it. And that's a perfect segue to a follow-up question from Shahad, who writes that her husband has type 2 diabetes, but eats a whole food plant-based diet and loves fruit, eats eight servings of it every single day. Still, she's a little bit concerned. She wants to know, even though uh, you just said what you did, should he still be limiting his fruit consumption? Um, I don't think so. I think I think it's fine um, to have fruit. I would, I would mention that in the studies 
that I described earlier, where you feed research volunteers various fruits and you see their effect on blood sugar. There are two fruits that stand out as spiking blood sugar a little bit more, and that's pineapple and uh, watermelon. But both of these are, have so much water in them that it's hard to eat a lot of it to, so that you have really a very substantial sugar uh, intake. So uh, we're gonna give a green light to fruit. And are there any fruits that you would recommend more than others? Say, make sure if you're going to eat anything, make sure it's citrus kind of the same way. If you're going to eat any vegetable, make sure it's a leafy green. Yeah, great question. Um, there's a huge variety, and I think variety is is, is the best thing. Um, the whole citrus family is great, but, but it's by no means unique. Um, there are a couple of things that happen to be fruits that people don't think of them as, and those are avocados um, and also olives. And they are fattier than most other fruits. So for those, you might want to really be careful if you're trying to lose weight or trying to reverse diabetes. And speaking of losing weight, we have a great question here from Kind Counselor. Wants to know, Dr. Barnard, will you please address weight in older individuals? I'm 73, I'm vegan, and I'm finding that my body is resisting weight loss. Yeah, your body's looking out for you. It's trying to preserve your, your, the amount of body fat that you have. And the reason for this is that our bodies evolved a very long time ago when starvation was a real threat. And so our bodies will actually try to preserve the very fat that you want to get rid of because your body's designed to do that. And it'll slow your metabolism and increase your appetite, uh, even without your knowing it, in order to keep the body fat that you have about the same. So what can you do? You can trick your, trick your metabolism a little bit, trick your appetite by... Um, really reducing fatty foods and the, the fatty foods, since you're already vegan, animal fat is not an issue for you, which is great. Um, but by avoiding the use of oils in cooking and avoiding nuts and nut butters and, and guacamole, that's really about it, uh, avocados, um, or really minimizing those foods. Um, the, the reason for that is that those are the foods that our appetite tends to call for. Uh, when it wants to rebuild our body fat stores. And it can be unconscious. You'll just discover you suddenly got a taste for peanuts. Um, and it's, this is your body fat saying, I'm starting to shrink. I want to build myself back up. Um, by minimizing those kinds of foods, you'll really minimize your, your calorie intake. Because every gram of fat has nine calories stored in it, but every gram of carbohydrate has only four. So you go toward the fruits, the beans, the vegetables and so forth. And you'll discover that for most people, their weight starts coming down really pretty well. You know, when we're talking nutrition and plant-based diets, protein is bound to come mm. up. So we have this one from Esprit de Corps. Wants to know, is 20 grams of protein every day enough? I doubt it. I don't think so. Um, the According to the U.S. government, uh, the uh, amount of protein that a person needs for, for an, say, let's say an average sized woman, 46 grams a day. For an average size man, 56 grams a day. Now, uh, in the spirit of your question is maybe I don't really need as much as that. That is probably right because the 46 and 56 grams per day targets that the government set for women and for men, um, they had a, a little bit of a, or maybe more than a little bit of a, a buffer so that if you didn't quite get to 46, if you're down maybe 40 or something like that, you'd still be okay. But 20 is really low. And also it's hard to figure how you could get to 20 grams because grains and beans and vegetables and even fruits do have some protein in them. So it's gonna be hard to get 
down that low and, and you would not want to. Um, aim for the 46 or 56. And if, if you're somewhere in that range, you're going to be fine. All right. I want to go back to what it was you were speaking about earlier as far as a variety of foods. You said variety <clears throat> seems to be the key here. Uh, somebody by the name of Fruity Fairy uh, <laughs> writes, can I eat 2,000 calories a day of exclusively fruit or are other things essential here? So what would you say to somebody who wants to be a fruitarian? Today's show brought to you by the fruit industry. Is that, is that <laughs> do, do we have a sponsor I was unaware of? Um, <laughs> no. Um, well, first of all, um, okay, let's reel it back in for a minute. Fruit is great, but fruit should not be all you eat. Um, there are really four food groups that are important for health. Grains, beans, and, and the, when I say beans, I mean the whole legume group. That's lentils, peas, along with beans. So grains beans, vegetables, and fruits. Um, so I mentioned our chimpanzee cousins who will eat a lot of fruit, but that's not all they eat. Um, they eat leaves and shoots and blossoms, all kinds of stuff. And you should be too. So um, don't forget your vegetables. Don't forget your beans. Don't forget your grains. And, and in, within each group, have really quite a wide variety of them, uh, of them. So not just one grain, not just one vegetable, but have variety in each group and have all of those four groups. Don't forget your B12. I'm sure that'll come up too. Interesting question here for you coming from Shirley writes, as a type two diabetic, is it better to have lots of small meals or three big meals every day? Uh, there's been a change um, in scientific thinking on this. If you'd read the literature maybe 15 years ago, 10 years ago, everyone was pushing multiple small meals. And the idea was that at no time of day are you giving yourself a huge bolus of food. And, and it seemed like there were some health advantages. But in the past couple of years, there have been some studies have, that have gone exactly in the opposite direction. They've said have large meals and few of them. So in some cases, just say two meals a day, uh, one in the morning, one maybe in the early afternoon, and that's it. And Dr. Hanna Kaliova, who's been on exam room uh, many times um, and uh, is our head of clinical research studies at, at Physicians Committee, has done a lot of work on this area. And it does look like having relatively few meals uh, and having them be larger does have some, some health benefits. That said, uh, if weight is not really a big issue for you and you're generally healthy, you can eat really when you're hungry because everything you're eating is something good for you. B12 time, Crest, uh, question from Christian. Will fortified plant milk give us enough B12? Uh, probably not, um, unless you drink a huge amount of it. Um, now I'm all for B12 fortification. Um, for those of you who are a little new to this, B12 is something you need for healthy nerves, and you need it for healthy blood. And if you're not getting it, you can have nerve symptoms, and you can have anemia and so forth. So who makes B12? Animals don't make it. Plants don't make it, it's made by bacteria. And so some people will say, well, before the advent of modern hygiene, we would get B12 on the plants that we would pull out of the soil, um, maybe even on our fingers or in our mouths, the B12 producing bacteria would be there for us. Well, with modern hygiene, that's gone, and I'm not sure that was ever really an, uh, an adequate source anyway. So. In theory, meat eaters get some B12 because the bacteria in their gut will make B12 and it gets into milk or it gets into meat. But even there, a lot of them run low because they're not absorbing it very well from those sources, often due to the lack of stomach acid or because they're on a 
medication like metformin that will interfere with metformin. Uh, we interfere with uh, absorption. So what do I do? Real easy. You go to the nearest drugstore or health food store and you buy a B12 supplement. And the supplements all have way more than you need. The amount you need is 2.4 micrograms, not, not, not milligrams, but micrograms per day, 2.4 micrograms. That's the amount an adult should have for good health. So you go to the store and the smallest one you'll see is like 500. Thank good heavens. Um, or a thousand or two thousand, just get the smallest one that they sell, or go online. You get one that's maybe about a hundred micrograms. Fine, take that every day. If it's a really humongous one, like two, like a thousand micrograms, take that every other day would would be a, a good practice. Um, and that's that's going to do it. Now, if you look at um, soy milk, as you were describing, or nutritional yeast, or other foods, many of them are fortified with it, but the amount that's there. The little label will give you the percentage of the daily value, and you'll see for most of them it's not 100%. So I would get a supplement too. Follow-up question from Pam here, speaking of supplements, wants to know if it's better to take a B12 supplement by itself or should you get it as part of a B-complex vitamin? Uh, either way is fine because when, when you get B12 itself, what are you getting? You're getting B12. If you get B-complex, you're getting the other B vitamins with it. But the B vitamins are widely available in vegetables and fruits. I'm talking about things like folate, uh, niacin. These are, are, are B vitamins that are widely available in other foods. So you don't really need to take them as a B complex. If you do, it's safe, won't hurt you. So B complex is fine, but the B12 alone will have you covered. A lot of people turn to a plant-based diet looking for health benefits. One viewer wants to know flat out, how long does it take in order to see these benefits? All right, uh, you're starting your plant-based diet now and you're setting your timer at zero. And as the clock starts ticking, what do you see? Um, one of the first things that happens is uh, a very small but perceptible loss of body weight. That, that, will, that will happen the first week. It, for many people, happens the first day. Um, don't weigh yourself every five minutes, you know, weigh yourself once a week um, and it will be slow and, and, and steady. If it's not happening, then look for the fatty foods as we were describing earlier. Uh, do a search and destroy, get the oil and, and fatty foods out of your diet. Um, oh, go ahead, Chuck. No, I, I, I thought that you were finished. I was just gonna <laughs> jump right in and move on, but continue no, my friend. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I, my, 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 my verbosity filter must not be working today. Um, Couple other things. Uh, we talked about the weight kicking in. Um, your cholesterol will start dropping, but don't measure your cholesterol will bounce around a little bit. I would suggest not bothering to measure it unless you until you have been on a completely plant-based diet for maybe eight weeks or something like that. If you check it sooner, you will see changes, but let it stabilize more. Give it eight weeks, 12 weeks or something like that. Uh, blood sugar. Blood sugar is a funny one. For the first couple of days, it can rise a little bit. If you have diabetes now, and you go on a plant-based diet, if you're insulin resistant, that's the hallmark of type two diabetes, your blood sugar is probably gonna rise a little bit and that might frighten you a little, a little if you do a finger stick and you see my blood sugar is a little higher than it ought to be. Um, be patient with it, follow a healthy plant-based diet, keep going and after about three, four days, it turns the corner and your blood sugars start dropping. What's happening? The fat is coming out of your cells coming out of your muscle cells, coming out of your liver cells, and now your insulin resistance is diminishing 
and those cells start taking in the blood sugar. So for most people, their blood sugar starts dropping within a few days, and you can check a new hemoglobin A1C after about three months, and you'll see the results. And then there are some things that take much longer, um, opening up your arteries again. Uh, the beginnings of that will happen. Uh, like a person who has chest pain, their chest pain goes away. It varies a lot, but typically four or five, six weeks into the diet. But uh, when Dean Ornish measured reversal of atherosclerosis, he gave it a year. Um, for all of these things, I've been talking about serious health issues like diabetes and angina and other things. In all of these cases, follow your doctor's advice. Um, don't cancel your doctor's appointment and don't throw your medications away thinking, well, diet ought to, ought to do it. Um, you need to have the best of all possible medical worlds and, and change your diet along with the changes your doctor's recommending, not instead of them. All right. Next question. This is a great one. It comes to us from Kathy. Wants to know, do fruit, vegetables, grains, and legumes have to be included in every meal? Ah, great question. No, they don't. Um, let's say your breakfast is um, cornflakes with soy milk. What, what is that? Cornflakes are a grain and the soy milk is a legume product because it came from the soy bean. Um, let's say for dinner, you might have had a pasta with a tomato sauce and some asparagus on the side. So there you got your vegetables and a grain and, and the tomato counts as a fruit. Um, but you might want to have, say, um, your mangoes or papayas or apples or peaches uh, as a dessert or as a snack, as opposed to as part of the meal. So no, they uh, have them as part of every day, but not necessarily part of every meal. We have a follow-up to the protein question that we asked earlier. This one comes to us from Starla. She wants to know, do you need more than the 50 grams of protein recommended if you work out every day? You may. Um, the more people work out, the more protein that they need. But um, it's, it's rather like oxygen. You know, if you work out a lot, you need more oxygen, right? So what does your body do? It increases your breathing. You're breathing faster and faster. You're taking in more oxygen. Your body is pretty smart so that when you're exercising a lot, your, your body will take in extra calories. It, it makes you hungrier. So because if it didn't, you would waste away. Um, so the added protein that you need doesn't really have to be planned as a protein shake or something like that. It'll, it'll just come along with the food that you're eating because you're now eating more food to nourish your exercising body. Here's an interesting question. You know, us humans, we want exact numbers, you know, like right on the money. And so uh, this person is wondering about a good balance for their diet. Say they want to know my plate is 75% carbs, 15% protein, and 10% fat. Is that a good combination? I would try to get your fat down to 9.7% and your carbs <laughs> up to 75.3. No, I, I'm kidding. Um, the, the short answer is yes, those numbers are great. Um, it sounds like it's straight out of a textbook for what a healthy diet should be. Those numbers are great, but you don't have to hit them on the money. Um, a healthy diet, because it's vegetables and fruits and whole grains and beans, it's quite rich in healthy carbohydrate. That's the best fuel for your body. That's the fuel your, your brain works on. That's the fuel your muscles work on. So Carbs are good, despite the fact that sometimes fad books give them a hard time. Um, you need a little bit of fat. Um, and so 10% has got you easily covered and the rest will be protein. So you're, you're, you're doing great. 
Fantastic question here from Nikki. She writes, I am wheelchair bound with zero activity, but I want to go plant-based. However, I'm worried about not being able to burn enough calories. Can I tweak my diet to work for me? Okay. Um, yeah. First of all, I'm sorry to hear that you're, you're dealing with this particular challenge, but you'll be glad to know that when we've done research studies where we brought people in and changed their diets and we've tracked the benefits in virtually all of our studies, we ask our participants not to exercise and the reason or, or not to change their exercise. So let's say I have somebody who's totally sedentary. We say this is not the time to increase your exercise because if you do, it will confuse our study. It'll confound the study. So when we have found that a plant-based diet helps regulate body weight or brings down blood sugar, blood pressure, blood cholesterol, all of those are found independent of whether a person exercises or not. And we have a lot of people who, like you, have been unable to exercise to any meaningful degree. And that can be because, as you mentioned, uh, you're not uh, able to, to, to move without your wheelchair. Um, there are people who have got such bad neuropathy that they're really having trouble ambulating. Um, some folks are, have such serious weight problems, they haven't been able to do meaningful exercise either. But in all these cases, the benefits really do come through. You don't need to tweak it, but the thing I would recommend is to eat for your appetite. Um, if you are, don't eat for entertainment. In, in other words, a lot of us go to the refrigerator and if you think about it, we're not really hungry. We're just bored. Don't do that. So when, when your body is calling for more food and you're having your normal sized meals, that's good. And, uh, and uh, we, we won't want to be eating beyond that point. This is another good question. And it goes to the heart of, I think, what people look at as clean eating. They want to do this thing as healthfully as possible. But Richard raises a great question here, wants to know, are canned legumes and vegetables still nutritious? Sure. Um, what they did is they took the bean and put it in a can and sealed it up and sent, and sent it to you. Um, where they run into trouble um, is they will add things to it, particularly salt. And the salt, the beans in their natural state, almost all plants in their natural state, have very, very little sodium. That's why that's part of why they're such so great for lowering blood pressure. But the manufacturers know that you like salt. And so when they're canning your vegan soup or your green beans, they throw extra salt in there. You can rinse it off to a degree or you can choose the non-salt added varieties. Uh, Sarah wants to get an early start uh, on health for her kids. Uh, wants to know, is it okay to start vegan food for a six-year-old? Oh, yes. Well, yes, the answer is absolutely. And let me preface everything by saying that your child is lucky to have you um, as a parent um, because there are a lot of parents who haven't figured this out until their kids are like much older than that, if, if then. So, yes, um, Children can be vegan from conception. By that I mean is that if mom's not eating any animal products during pregnancy and the baby is breastfed and the baby's solid foods after breastfeeding are all plant-derived, that is a great diet. In fact, that's the best kind of diet. Um, but let me give you the rules. Uh, for any age um, after breastfeeding, the rules are for food groups, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and beans. And make sure that your child has vitamin B12. That's as important for kids as it is for adults. It's important for pregnant women. It's important for nursing women, important for everybody. And a simple way to do that is just with the Flintstones type vitamins or any pediatric vitamin. It's, it's, it's um, not only going to provide the B12 you need, 
but it provides the reassurance that your child's grandmom needs to make sure that you know that they're worried. Is your child getting complete nutrition? You can say yes, you know. Uh, and your your uh, if your pediatrician is not very well educated, it'll reassure your pediatrician too. So the four food groups: vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans. Don't forget your vitamin B12, and you've got a lucky lucky child there. Next question. My heart really goes out to this person looking for some help here. Edith wants to know what if you cannot control your appetite? So what advice do you have for those who really feel like their eating is out of control? Yeah. Um, let me give some initial comments, but Chuck, if you want to weigh in on that um, as well, I, I would invite you to, because you've um, explored that and talked to thought, given, given a lot of thought to that as well. Um, ju just for a start, what we've been talking about is what a healthy diet is. And when people eat healthy grains and beans and vegetables and fruits, the payoff is enormous. Um, but there's a psychological side of this apart from the physical side, which is that we have cravings for certain foods. And what we're doing is we're looking for things that give us dopamine in the brain. And in the same way as cigarettes will do it or alcohol will do it, foods do it too. And it's, it's specifically overeating, and also eating certain kinds of things. Um, people are by and large not binging on tangerines and iceberg lettuce. Um, we are binging on salty, greasy things, and especially sugar, sugar fat mixtures like a, a cookie um, or cheese, uh, these kinds of things, sometimes meat, cheese um, combinations. And um, many people of course have written uh, on food addictions um, and I don't have a magical solution to it, unfortunately, because the, my, my, and the reason is that industry is trying to get you hooked. Um, there are industries out there that are working very hard to find exactly the right combination of cocoa butter and fat that makes, uh, or, or I'm sorry, cocoa butter and sugar that will make a candy bar absolutely irresistible. And they place them in stores and at exactly eye level and they're going to do everything they can to get you hooked. And, uh, and the human mind is a fragile thing that can easily be uh, hooked into things. Um, my, I'll give you a couple of suggestions, though, and then Chuck will be interested in your thoughts. Um, I found that for many people, it's really useful to try to explore the reasons for it and come to understand uh, what, what issues might have fed into this. And you, you'll find you can spend years in psychotherapy trying to understand it. But... Um, Understanding is not the same as being able to control something. So sometimes it's really handy for people with any kind of addiction, whether it's tobacco or alcohol or food, to set up a fence. And that is to say, I just can't have this at all. Um, so I'll tell you a story. It's true. It's true. Uh, when I was a medical student, I, would, I smoked cigarettes. And we weren't stupid. Um, all the medical students and some of our doctors would be attending would smoke too. We weren't stupid. We knew it caused cancer, but we figured, well, it takes time to, to, uh, for cancer to develop. I'm under so much stress now. I'll quit in a couple of years. Well, eventually you realize you've got to quit. And so I did, and we all did. But I learned something about myself and something I think about most everybody, which is that if there's something that's physically addictive, like nicotine, you're better off not having it in moderation. You're better off having none. And so for many, many of us are a little, we'd like to think about moderation in all things. Moderation in addicting things is just a way to lead you back to a daily rut that you're going to get stuck in. So if there's a food that is that, that you love that doesn't love you back, 
and it hurts you. Don't moderate it. Don't have a little bit. Just put a wall between you and that and just do not go there. That's a little painful sometimes. And there are times where you might make a mistake and regret it later. Don't moralize with it. This is biology. This is not morality. Um, just set up that fence again. <laughs> Keep those woods out of your life and hopefully you'll be able to meet your goals. So those are a few preliminary thoughts. Uh, Chuck, do you have some things you'd like to weigh in with? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that is that is great advice. I think that moderation is the reason why we have the term yo-yo dieting. You know, yeah. if if you take those those foods out of your diet altogether, you're gonna be okay. Specific to food, I had a similar uh, story to to Dr. Barnard with quitting cigarettes, and I call this my one nacho theory because this one time I had lost sixty pounds, was feeling fantastic, and I thought, man, I've got this. I can have one nacho. And what happened? That one nacho became second and then a third with nacho cheese. And before you know it, I was right back at the Taco Bell drive-through up to my $20 a day in Taco Bell and my 10,000 calorie diet after that losing 60 pounds. And it was because I had that one nacho. And so you just, it's going to stink. There are going to be days when you are going to whine and cry and want to bang your head against the wall. You're not crazy. That is perfectly normal, but I would encourage you to rethink, I'll end with this, rethink your original question. What if you cannot control your appetite? Well, what if you can? That's the thing. You can control your appetite. That's the way that you need to look at it. Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not, but you absolutely can. So just head down, grind it out, eliminate those foods, and I promise you over time, you will be okay. So Edith, best of luck to you. I promise you there's no magical formula for this. It's just make up your mind, really, really emphasize that willpower, which you already have, and you can do this thing. All right, time for a couple of more questions before we wrap things up. Here's a question, Dr. Barnard from Aaron. What are your thoughts on pre and probiotics for weight management? Uh, I gotta tell you, the world of research has advanced and as it has, my own thinking about this has, has changed a bit. Um, and just so that everybody knows the terms we're talking about, um, when people talk about probiotics, what they're really referring to is bacteria that you take as a supplement and they go into your intestinal tract and they're friendly bacteria that, that help you. Um, and we used to say that you should take those if you had an antibiotic that knocked out your gut bacteria. Take the probiotics and you'll repopulate your gut. Researchers recently did a study, oh, this is maybe six, eight months ago, where they showed that the, re, the restoration of normal gut flora does not require the probiotics at all. In fact, you do better without them. They, they just find their, the, the natural healthy bacteria find their way into your system. So what you do need, what the most important thing by far is to have sort of the right soil to plant your garden. So imagine if you were planting cactuses out behind your house. The soil they need is completely different from if you were planting tulips or roses. And if you want healthy gut bacteria, the soil that they're planting in is what you eat. So if you're eating meat, chicken, cheese, and greasy things in general, it fosters the growth of really unhealthy gut bacteria. Um, but if you're eating the foods that we've talked about, vegetables and fruits and grains and beans, they provide a lot of fiber and healthy complex carbohydrates that, fast, that foster healthy gut bacteria. And they do it really fast within about two weeks time. So do you need prebiotics? 
yes, but the, but prebiotics are vegetables <laughs> and fruits and whole grains and beans. So that's what they are. Do you need probiotics? Not in a pill, not from a health food store. They'll just, they will, they will come to you naturally. Now, there may be some exceptions. Um, science changes and there may be something that, that I'm not yet aware of, but that's the science as we see it now. All right, last question. The honors go to Brenda. Is a cholesterol of 115 too low? No. Um, uh, it, we can be tricked sometimes. When we look at uh, our cholesterol test, it'll, have, it'll say your total cholesterol is 115 and the normal values are. And so the, this is just pre-printed text that's the same for everybody on their lab slips. And it'll say something like the normal values for total, total cholesterol are I'm going to make it up. It could be something like 150 to 200, something like that. And so you'll worry, well, if I'm under 150, am I getting into trouble? No, those are just statistical norms. That doesn't mean that there's actually a a problem by going lower. But when it comes to cholesterol, your body does need some cholesterol. It uses it for making uh, hormones and making cell membranes, but your liver makes all the cholesterol you need. And you can be, we have people with total cholesterols under 100. They do fine. They do, they, do, they do perfectly fine, so not to worry. Dr. Barnard, thank you so very much for your time and answering so many of these questions today, my friend. Glad to do it. Thank you, Chuck. If you ever have a question that you would like to ask any of our experts, go ahead and tweet that to me at Chuck Carroll WLC or find me on Instagram under the same name. Send me a message there. We will do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. Just make sure that when you send it in, you use the hashtag exam room live. And by the way, we have new episodes of the exam room every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Facebook and on YouTube. And here on Apple Podcast and Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcasts from, new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. So we are raising your nutrition IQ five days a week. And if you haven't already done so, please go ahead and subscribe to the exam room by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your favorite podcast from. And when you do, please leave a five-star rating. Today's show was all about asking questions openly. But if you would like to work more intimately with a doctor or a dietitian on your nutrition and on your health, you can do that with our experts over at the Barnard Medical Center. To make a telemedicine appointment today, all you need to do is visit barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500 to schedule that appointment and get a full list of states where services are available. Insurance is accepted. barnardmedical.org or 202-527-7500. 500 to take control of your health today. Coming up next week on the show, a great conversation with the one and only Dr. Kim Williams, one of the leading cardiologists in the nation. We'll be here talking about a new study that looks at what fried food does to your heart. We are getting into specifics here. What does fried food really do to your heart? We're going to find out when Dr. Williams joins us right here on the exam room. But for today, that is all the time that we have. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for joining us and being that professor of nutrition for us today and helping to raise our nutrition IQ. For everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, stay safe, take a stand. And 
keep it plant-based. <laughs>